What you'll find increasingly in D is just the seamless nature of things. As we strive for perfection and settle for excellence. <laughs> and all too often hit mediocrity. Wonderful to see you all. Welcome. Let's find our seats. I just want to um, underline Tim's bigging up at the weekend away. I am so excited about that, guys. If you haven't got it in the diary, stick it in last weekend. I mean, Tim's excited about the teaching, the ministry, the worship. He's excited about the community. But for me, it really is all about the hot tub. So uh, I do hope you get involved and come and join me in the hot tub, appropriately dressed, and we'll go from there. Right, how are we doing? Good, good. Um, so guys, welcome. And welcome to St. D's on Remembrance Sunday. I'm always very moved by Remembrance Sunday, actually. I don't know why, I've always just held it in a just really high regard and just feel the importance of us as a generation, and generations younger to keep remembering the sacrifice that was made by so many. And just behind me, you see poppies strewn about, and actually this frieze here carries the names of all of the men who went from this parish uh, to fight, and uh, some 91 of them who fell. I don't know if it's the Great War or both wars. In just the Great War, 91 men. It's more men than we've got in the whole of St. D's put together probably not far off the number that's gathered here tonight, who, who fell in that battle from just this parish. Many of them would have been at this church, and it got me thinking, as I was preparing um, the message for today, there would have been Christians fighting, many, in that war on, on both sides. What would that have been like? What would they have gone through? What would they have felt? And I just felt to sort of Google it and see if I could find out, actually, you know, get an insight into the mindset of um, any believer, brother or sister of ours, some years ago, that could have been one of us fighting today. And I stumbled on um, the story, just a brief story about this guy, Theo Chadburn. And I just wanted to share it with you at the outset um, tonight. On April the 9th, 1918, 29-year-old Theo Chadburn, a miner from Sheffield, wrote to his wife Lily. He was a sergeant in the 13th Battalion of the York and Lancaster Regiment, serving in France. He wrote, I am daily thinking of you, he wrote to Lily and his six-year-old daughter May, and constantly hoping and trusting God for the reunion. May he grant us that privilege. I believe that I have still a work to do for him, and my mind is broader. I believe that every day I learn more of his goodness and am waiting his pleasure to be able to do a work for him in conjunction with my dearest wife. And his, his letters home on creamy lined paper were all written in pencil, and they'd end with a row of kisses. And this was to be his last. Three days later, he was killed, it is thought, rescuing colleagues from a burning building. His body was never found. And as we remember Theo and many others like him today, I want to use that as a sort of a quickening, a focusing of our minds for our lives, 
for those of us here today who remember those who've gone before, but perhaps don't just remember, but seek to honour our brothers and sisters who gave so much, whose lives were cut short. But we've got a chance to do something not just in remembrance of them, but in honour of them. And yesterday, you know, in the back of this church, we held our second men's brunch of the term. It's a great time. Uh, they're always great times. Um, about 22 of us guys got together, and Tim spoke to us. We had the usual bacon butties, you know, croissants, that kind of thing. And then we did men's time, and, and Tim spoke. And the title of his talk was The Dash Between the Dates. And Tim pointed out the very obvious point that each one of us on our gravestone will have two dates written, concrete moments that each one of us will face, that each one of us has already got that date in place, the date we were born, 28th of December, 1970. <laughs> it's coming up, coming up. But also, each one of us will die. I hate to break the news to you, but it is the ultimate statistic. Barring the Lord's return to take us to be with him before that, each one of us in this room will die. We will have a date of death. And on our gravestone, both of these dates will be shown. And the title of Tim's talk, The Dash Between the Dates, refers to that little line, literally that dash that represents your life and my life. And Tim was challenging us with this and, and he used this title and I was in awe of this title until I discovered Tim had borrowed it off, off another preacher. Um, and so I'm borrowing it off him in turn and this is how the church goes round and round. Anyway, the point is, I want us to ask ourselves tonight, how can we make the most of that dash? How can we live life to the full and make our dash count in eternity? How can we live for the glory of God, but also tonight in remembrance, in honor of Theo? Live a life that honors his memory, honors all that he longed to do with his wife, Lily, but didn't get that chance. How can we make the most of our lives, make the most of that dash? And we're going to see just three things that I want to draw out from our passage tonight. Will you grab your Bibles and turn to page 1111? There are Bibles near you. We're going to be just head in the Bible tonight. We love it. Page 1111. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 8. So we're going to read this then. I'd encourage you to keep this Bible open because we're going to be looking down at it, picking stuff out. And hopefully, well, we're going to pray in a moment that God speaks to us. Reading from verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, as we look at that passage, asking the question, how are we going to make the most of our lives? How are we going to make that dash count? Well, we're going to need to let our light shine. That's what Paul is telling the Ephesians. That's what God is saying to each one of us tonight. Let your light shine. As we've seen in this series in Ephesians, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, a specific time, specific place, specific circumstances. But he's been just portraying the awesomeness of God, of what he's done for us in Christ. Chapters 1 to 3, laying out the doctrine, all that we need to understand that God has chosen us before the creation of the world, that he has redeemed us, that he has adopted us into his family as children, sons and daughters, that he has seated us in heavenly places, that we don't just sit here in Parsons Green this evening, we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. The awesome, just it, it's blow your mind stuff, it's sort of crazy time in Ephesians. There is so much, and we've been looking at that and being wowed by that, but chapters 3 to 6, where we're at now, is Paul wanting to go on to explain, well, what difference does this make to our lives? What do we do in light of this amazing knowledge, this doctrine? What is our duty? That's what the second half of Ephesians is about. It's about our duty as Christians. About our response to God's grace. And Paul is saying, basically the the theme of the second half of Ephesians is live a life that is worthy. Live a life that's worthy of all that God has done for you. That word worthy is the Greek word axios, from where we get the English word axiom. It means of equal weight, carries the sense of balance. Live a life that is balanced when set against the amazing thing that God has done for us in Christ. Live a life that's worthy. He therefore goes on to warn them of what stuff they shouldn't do. Because this, this verse begins, verse 8, look at it, it begins with the word for. Well, that means it needs a bit of explaining because, you know, what's come before. The sentence before that, if you look at verse 7, is therefore do not be partners with them. For you will once start. Do not be partners with who? Do not be partners, it says, with the disobedient. With those who walk in sexual immorality, verse 3 says. Who walk in impurity, who follow the ways of greed anything that's improper. Paul warns the Ephesians and God is warning us to avoid following the ways of the disobedient. He says don't partner with them 
in verse 7. And that takes us on to verse 8 where we begin. Why should we not partner with them? I mean, what's the big problem? I mean, so what, you know, the world gets up to its stuff. We're saved, we're fine. I mean, what's wrong with a bit of dabbling? What's wrong with a bit of partnering? The reason, Paul says, is because it's not you. It's not who you are anymore. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For, verse 8, for you were once darkness, yes. Yes, that's how you used to live. Yes, that's what you used to get up to. But that's what you were. But now, you are light in the Lord. Why should we not partner with the ways of the disobedient? Because we have a new nature. We have a new identity now. We are now light. And that requires a whole different set of rules for living. Not just that we need to live by, but that we want to live by. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it's important for us to grasp that there are only two realities, are only two realities under heaven. The Bible only speaks of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and there is the kingdom of darkness. And what is happening in the world is every human being under the sun, whether they dial in or dial out or think they are, is involved in one or other, whether they choose it or not. There is the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light is what we've been born into. It says live as children of light. Live as children of your Father in heaven. Who is our Father in heaven? He is the Father of lights. God today reigns. Where does he reign? He reigns in glory. He reigns in inapproachable, wrong word, unapproachable light. Fiercely lit up. He's a consuming fire. His eyes are like fire. Yes, Jesus came in weakness and humility when we celebrate him at Christmas coming up. He was born in a manger. You wouldn't have looked twice at him. He wasn't a celebrity, not on the front cover of Hello. But this now is the one who is raised higher than anyone else, who sits on the throne, whose eyes are fire, who we cannot even begin to approach him. Such is his glory. This is who God is. You know, Revelation speaks of that city that's going to come down from heaven. And John's vision, it says, you know, it doesn't need the light of the sun or the moon there because the lamb is its lamp. Jesus is its lamp and he gives light to the whole city, to the whole earth. How brilliant is Jesus? He's more brilliant than the sun. He's brighter, more full of light. This is who we belong to now. This is our nature. Why not partner with the ways of darkness? Because that's not who we are. We're our father's sons. We're our father's daughters. We're his children now. There's the kingdom of light and it is surely ruled by a king. And those who live in it, who walk in it, must walk in the light. And they will go on to enjoy eternity in the kingdom of light. But just as there is the kingdom of light, there is the kingdom of darkness. And I'm loath even to speak about it. It's so despicable. It's, it's just like, a, oh. I wish I could say it was irrelevant, but we see too much of it in our world today. 
those held in darkness, those living, following the way of this prince, not a king, this prince of darkness, this fallen angel, Satan, who would grip all of mankind and have them follow his ways, live his ways, follow the deeds of the disobedient, do that stuff. And you know, that's his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And many out there, many outside these walls, many in the world are in that kingdom. They may think they're not in it. You know, they may say, no, you know, church, fine, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, but it's not for me. I'm a good person, I'm doing... Jesus said, God's word says, you're either light or you're darkness. You can't be both. And you can't dial out. This is the amazing thing. That Paul isn't saying, you know, live in the light. That's not what he says. In verse 8, he says, he doesn't say you once walked in darkness, but now walk in the light. He says you once were darkness, but now you are light. Do you know that about yourself tonight? That if we could get a glimpse of ourselves from God's perspective, from heaven, we would see just a room full of shining stars that shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Do you know? Do you feel, I don't often feel like a, like a creature of light. I've got to be honest. I mean, probably n- not many of us do. But that is how God sees us. Just as Jesus is the light of the world, the light who came into this world. We're going to hear it read at Christmas. You know, the, the famous, the light shines in the darkness, but the dark, darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world, but because of him, because he lives in us, he says, you are the light of the world. The reason I'm going to the depths of this is because it starts with identity, guys. How we live, how we go out and impact the world around us starts in our understanding of who we are. That we're not just called to go out and do good deeds, follow you know, a set of rules, walk in the light, make every effort. Paul here says, just go out and be yourselves. Go out and be yourselves. Don't sell yourself short. You are light. You're not just called to live in the light you are light. And boy, if we could hear Theo's voice now, the soldier, dwelling up there, worshipping God day and night for eternity set before him. If we could hear his, his testimony, how he would say, oh my friends, how beautiful, how glorious. If you could only see him, you would live for him more and more right now. You would live for him. You would give him everything today. Do not hold back. Be yourselves. Live as children of light. Be that light. And you know, I just want to say, because I think sometimes we can feel it. Sometimes you hear it on Alpha or in other places. You know, Christians, perhaps those who've more grown up in a Christian home, who sometimes long for, you know, they hear the testimonies of the, you know, the gangsters and the murderers and the drug dealers who've come up and they've gone from darkness to light. And some people wish, like, oh, I wish I had a better testimony. Do you know what I mean? Those people. I mean, I, I've been one of them uh, a little bit. And maybe you are. You know, I wish I'd just done some more stuff. And it's like... And sometimes they're tempted to like, maybe I'll go now and do a little bit. And people kind of think, I'll go into a bit of, bit of darkness now, just so I can taste how dark it is. And then I can come back and know how wonderful the light is. And the problem is, people do that. But the problem is they don't experience darkness. They just experience grayness and apathy. 
I haven't done much painting, but you know what you get if you, if you mix white with black, the paints? You just get grey. And if, you're Christian, if you think, oh, I'll go and experience a bit of dark, you know, what you'll get is just your soul will just go quiet and quietly die within you. You will experience apathy. You will experience greyness. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> Amen. Now I like this. Keep it coming. And who wants to live a life of greyness? Who wants to be lukewarm? God says, I wish you were either cold or hot. Be one or the other. Make your mind up. Be brilliantly bright and in your face bright. Or just, you know, go and do something somewhere else. <laughs> and I just want to encourage those of you who've thought that about your lives. Who've wondered, I, I, I want a testimony. You know, if you want to know the distinction between darkness and light better, don't go out there and try and taste darkness. Look more intently at the light. As you look at the light, the darkness will become more apparent around you. Your life will become more transformed. You will look more and more like Jesus. And we can get tempted to think like, oh, you know, but I need to be connected with the world. You know, I need to kind of dabble with my friends because they do a bit of that. And if I want to stay relevant, I better do a bit of that as well. And, you know, we go along with it. But the, the truth is, your greatest hope of witnessing of reaching, of winning your friends, those, your loved ones who don't know Jesus, your greatest hope of winning them to Christ isn't going to be through your sameness with them. Yeah. It's going to be through your difference to them. It's going to be bi through being with them in the world, but not of them, not of the world. God is looking for a church that just glimpses him, whose eyes are fixed on his son, dwelling in unapproachable light, who are being transformed themselves, knowing their identity and living a completely different life. Why? Because this life is the most beautiful life. What does it look like? The fruit, Paul says, the fruit, there are three things, he says. Just look down, verse 9. He says, live as children of light. Why? What does light look like? Why should we? For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. You know that word goodness? It speaks of moral excellence, but it speaks of goodness, especially with regard to those around us, to other people. It's, it's a goodness towards the horizontal, to our neighbor, to the world. It's saying, if you dwell in this light, if you go after this, if you live this way, then you are going to be good to be around. I mean, anyone in here want to be like that? Want people to serve them like, oh man, I love it. Pat's coming around. Awesome. <laughs> He is good news. I wanted to say that, so I'm going to dwell in the light. Because I want to be good news horizontally to my neighbor. You know, the fruit is righteousness. That speaks of our vertical relationship with God. It speaks of just walking the path. You know, this narrow path through life. Temptation to the left, to the right. But we stay on the track of holiness. We stay in right relationship because we want to honor our Father. We know that nothing is better than Him. Nothing is more beautiful than Him. Those that claim to be light, those things that claim to offer life, do not their lies. And I will hold fast to the path, the narrow path. I will pursue righteousness. And that will be a fruit that is attractive in my life. You know, when people say, like, what is it about that person? You know, you hear it. People share, like, well, I was friends. Why did you come to church? Why did you come to our friends? Like, oh, I was friends with, you know, Gary, and I just saw a difference in his life, you know. How he lives, there's just something about him. 
Could that be the goodness? Could that be the, the righteousness? Just the peace, the joy, the beauty that flows through him. Because he's connected to the source of light. And finally, truth. That's the other fruit. Truth will be present, will be a reality in our lives. What does this truth refer to? Well, we, like the goodness is horizontal to those around us. Righteousness is vertical relationship to God. Truth here refers to our relationship with ourselves. It speaks of integrity. It speaks of trustworthiness, reliability. How reliable are you to walk the path when the going gets tough? To hold firm when temptation is all around? How's your integrity? That's what this word truth refers to. Truth in the inmost parts. That you cut someone in half, there would be consistency throughout them. You know, I love traveling. I love going to the airport. I don't have any issue with going through security, putting my bag on the little thing, you know, taking my belt off, annoyingly, because it never beeps, taking my belt off. I don't worry about the bag going through, about the x-ray flooding it with light to reveal what's in my bag. Because I'm not smuggling heroin. <laughs> and I'm not carrying any weapons or a grenade or something. I, I don't worry about it. So I just casually go through, wondering like, are you a bit weird like me? And I, just, I, I sometimes hope it beeps. I just want to get the fact, like, I'm Mr. Bean, you know, like, <laughs> I don't worry about that because I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything. I sometimes wonder like, what about someone who is smuggling? I mean, the fear. Can you imagine? Strapped, stuff strapped to their body or like gun in the handbag. Just like, are they going to see it? Yes, they're going to see it. <laughs> but God here is speaking about, imagine if there was a spiritual x-ray that we all had to walk through. You know, next week, Tim designs. <laughs> he, is, he is good at physics. He designed some x-ray. I just made that up. <laughs> a spiritual x-ray at the back. It's not his forte. That you walk in and you're like, hey guys, great, smiles and coming to church, I'm a really good Christian. But this x-ray will reveal, it will show it up, I'm like, oh gosh, what's that? It will show up what's going on on the inside. Does the inside reflect what we're putting on, the mask perhaps we're wearing on the outside? Would we pitch up to church next week? I think it'd be just him. Um, God's saying he wants us to be people of truth. He wants that right in the depths of our being, in our heart. And these are the fruit that grow if we hold fast to God, if we dwell in the light, the fruit of goodness, righteousness, truth. And you know what? There's no limit to how much we can have because Paul just throws in here, just casually, and find out what pleases the Lord. Go and live for him. Go and shine for him. Let your light shine. And what's more, find out more, even more what pleases the Lord. Because as you do that, you're going to shine even more you're going to really start going places in your heart, in your spirit. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be ourselves. We're called to be light. What does this light do? What does any light do? It dispels darkness. Verse 11. 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Light is used to expose darkness, to, to dispel it. You know, one of the treats here at St. Dee's um, I get to do occasionally with Tim is to shin up a ladder and change the light bulbs in the loft up here. Just endanger our lives for, for your benefit on a Sunday so you can see. And we were doing this just last week. I only had a record. We did about three or four. And if you look on the walls, you see these amazing like, uh, boards we put up. Photos, go and check them out. But this side had no light. What was that side? It was that side. had no light. And you couldn't see it. So Tim, being the mountaineer that he is, I, I was holding it. I was playing my part. Shinned up with a, you know, a new bulb, took it out, faffed around, put it in. It's like, try it, Pat. Darkness there, dinginess. I hit the switch. Bang! That's what it looks like. The light. Dispelling the, but there's darkness here. Why is it? Because there's no light. You get my point. <laughs> light dispels the darkness. That's what it does. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be good news. We're called to be light in the world. To go around and say, if we know friends who are in darkness, who are trusting in things, you know, like they go after drugs, they go after drink, they go after sex because they think that's what brings them life. Actually, we know the truth. We have the light. We know and we can lovingly say, in a loving way that exposes them, we're not being judgmental, but say, have you really thought about that? Is it really making you happy? Can I point you to a different way? Can I share why I think it is that Jesus offers life? Why I think it is that he is the true light of the world? That's what it is to expose darkness. It's cool to get involved with stuff. You know, we think of Wilberforce or Shaftesbury. You know, and all that stuff, or the anti-trafficking movement happening in this day and age. That is light dispelling darkness, seeking to expose it. That is what we're called to as Christians. We're called to be ourselves, to be light. We're called to be light that shines in the dark and sends the darkness packing. We're called to tell our neighbours, our loved ones, those who don't know, that actually the darkness they think is life-giving and fun isn't fun at all. None of us actually enjoys the dark. We enjoy elements that go with darkness. But if you think about it, in darkness it's only really elements of light that we truly enjoy. The fireworks last night. Why would you go out in the drizzly dark night in Battersea Park unless you were going to see wondrous explosions of light, differing calibers and qualities. And then the Catherine wheel, which is an extraordinary thing. <laughs> but we're all called to be different lights, different kinds. Some great, some small. Some grounded, most in the air. We enjoy the dark when there's light. We enjoy this room. If we were to turn all the lights off, we'd enjoy the twink. Oh, it's so pretty with the, the lights on the thing. If it was total darkness, you wouldn't enjoy it. You wouldn't enjoy it one bit. What fun can you have in total darkness? I mean, we had a great time the other day. We, we had a Kaylee in the church. You imagine trying to do a Kaylee in the darkness. Or whatever else you enjoy. See Charlie over there painting. Good luck painting in the dark, Charlie. Or football. I love playing football. Playing, doing anything in darkness. It's hopeless. And yet, this is the life the world is living. This is what we need to go and show up. This is what we need to go 
and dispel. We need to go and be good news. We need to go and dispel the darkness in our local community and show them that light brings life and light is found and only found in Jesus. Light dispels darkness, but light also transforms. Just look at um, verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It's quite tricky to get your head around that one. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. You know, there was a time in your life, in my life, when we didn't know Christ, when we were that darkness. And then, the glory of God through the gospel, the light of God, was shed on us and made us alive in our spirit, in our heart and turned us into light. And what was dark became light. Does that make sense? This is what it's speaking of. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Your life once was not illuminated and then Christ shone and you came alive, as did I. Moved from death to life, darkness to light and you have become a light. You are the light of the world today. This is why Paul says, why he quotes, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Christ's light raises dead people, wakes them up, enables them to be a light that then goes on to wake other people up, to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, to be light in darkness. Light that transforms, light that redeems an entire life, an entire story. And as lights, it needs us explaining the truth and also modeling the truth. You know, the gospel needs teaching. It needs explaining. Your, your eyes have been opened. Your mind has been enlightened. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, the same power that caused the universe to come into being. God has spoken his word to open your eyes to the light of God in Christ. And he says, the understanding that we now have, we're to share with others. And as we do that, they will come into the light. But we don't just explain it, we model it, we show it with our lives, living a different life. Because the light transforms our lives. And the good news is that tonight, for every one of you here, for anyone outside these walls, anyone you know, there's nothing you've done that they've done that is beyond God's grace. There's nothing in your dark past that's beyond God's glorious light. Do you know that? Nothing. No ditch too deep that his love has not reached it. No dark corner too far removed that his light cannot consume it. He just calls us to come to him, to bring ourselves to him. He calls us to be one who shines, shines with his glory because it's him living in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the light of the world, living in us by his spirit. And if Theo could see us today, if he could be here, he would be cheering us on and saying, give it everything. Run the race. Throw off everything, that, the sin that so easily entangles. Don't be tempted. Don't go back to the ways of the disobedient. Because you were once darkness, but now you are light. 
And as such, go and transform the world around you. Go and be yourselves. Stand for me, Jesus would say. Speak for me. There's more power than you can imagine in your words, in just sharing good news. Because that's light in a dark world. Take every opportunity for me. Theo longed to, to use his life, what remained when he would have returned, to do ministry with his wife, to take every opportunity to lead others to this loving God that he knew. But he experienced the truth that the days are evil. And he died in war. He did not get that opportunity. But you and I today have that opportunity. We have the chance to make our lives count, to not miss an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, to point someone to the light, the light above every light. We need to do it. We need to use our time wisely. These opportunities won't come around again. And finally, we're called to let our light shine. That was a very brief point on uh, take every opportunity. <laughs> and finally, in a sentence, be filled with the Spirit. We don't do this in our own power. You know, Paul recognizes, he knows, he's not calling us to moralism. I'm not calling us now to go out and live a better life. Go out and stop doing that stuff and, you know, pull up your socks. Buck up your ideas. This isn't moralism. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not follow the ways of this world when they say, this is how you'll get high. This is how you'll have a good time. This is where your joy will be found. Getting drunk on wine, whatever it is. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Where does our energy to live for Christ, to live for God, to shine for Him come from? It comes from the Spirit. This command, be filled, is present continuous. It carries a sense of go on being filled, not just a once only event. It says time after time, day after day, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit live His life, the life of Jesus, through you. The question, how can we make our lives count? How can we live our most, give our all, make that dash count for eternity? The dash between the dates. How? By letting our light shine. By taking every opportunity. By being filled with the Spirit. If we do that, we will bring glory to God, our Father, Jesus' Son, the Holy Spirit. And we will live a life that honours the memory of Theo. Shall we stand? Tim's going to come up.